The Red Pill is a film from 2016 by documentarian Cassie J. A feminist's journey into the men's rights movement is the tagline. That title is derived from the 1999 classic, The Matrix, in which Morpheus offers Neo two pills. The blue one allows Neo to go about his normal life, thinking his usual usual thoughts and believing what he's always believed. And the red pill allows Neo to pull back the curtain, as it were, and discover the truth behind reality to enter the matrix. To be red-pilled is a contemporary turn of phrase to mean that one's mind has been changed, that you can no longer believe what you've always believed because you're facing new and compelling evidence. And now you see the bigger picture. You see a more complex situation. And as such, you can no longer exist within the dichotomy of partisan politics. You can no longer identify with one political side of any debate or situation. It's an ancient idea to exit the cave, as Plato would put it, and see the world for what it is, to no longer be limited by a narrow worldview. And this is what happened to documentarian Cassie J. She embarked to ridicule the men's rights movement as a feminist. And from her point of view, what these, mostly men but also women, were doing was antithetical to her belief system. They were anti-feminist by default. They were the enemy. And as such, they deserved mockery and derision. But instead, she gained sympathy for what they were saying. She understood the movement in a deeper way. It wasn't just about anti-feminism. There are issues that disproportionately disadvantage men, like suicide rates, workplace injuries and fatalities, child custody battles, historical military engagements. And Just by listening to the people, men and women, voicing these issues, she gained perspective and ultimately walked away from the identity of feminist because she saw it as merely one side of an antagonistic partisan gender debate. It has me wondering, what is feminism? What does that mean? today in 2020. It's one of these words that's become so muddled and overcomplicated with so many different perspectives. It makes me wonder if I am a feminist. So I went on to idrlabs.com to take an internet test about it. And I actually did record myself podcasting through that test but it turned out to be almost three hours long because those 42 questions were so interesting and I felt like going deep into all of them that it just went on and on. It was quite disparate as well. The questions were really shuffled around. So I've decided instead to distill those questions into various themes. And I'll give you the shortened version of it right here. 
there are multiple strands of feminism and I can be identified as a liberal feminist. I believe in gender equality. I am not a radical feminist. I think these radical ideas that I'll get into are dangerous and deserve to be challenged. And not from an angry anti-feminist point of view, but from a rational, liberal, enlightenment perspective. So let's explore that. Let's get into what these radical ideas might be, what the uh, opposite traditional ideas might be, and what it means to be politically oriented around these topics of gender and equality. I did an episode about equality, and I think it must be stated again here that when we talk about equality, we're talking about political rights, the ability to participate in society regardless of any inborn traits, to think of ourselves all as citizens and humans. And in that sense, we are the same. We're equal in eyes of the law. We are all citizens and we all deserve equal respect and dignity and opportunity and access to success. Feminism as a movement really gained prominence during the Industrial Revolution at the end of the 1800s. Of course, as an idea, it's much older than that. It's probably as old as all of philosophy. This idea of uh, personhood and certain rights and God-given traits, etc., contextualized within sexuality and gender, that's old. And in society, that debate has been going on for a long time. In the West, we've seen a steady progression, for instance, toward equality of opportunity. But in the Industrial Revolution, the suffragettes really defined the first wave of feminism, which was to gain the right to vote. The right to vote being a very clean and clear, direct goal and objective. And it was achieved, which is awesome. I think we all celebrate that. It could be described as a monumental achievement in Western society. Second wave feminism was a little more ambiguous. It didn't have a specific goal easily defined, but I would describe it in two ways. One was within work and the rights into the workplace being equal to men. And secondly, within the context of free love of the 1960s. This coincided with the advent of the birth control pill and female sexuality and liberation was defined against puritanical traditionalist views of womanhood and sexuality. Now we're in something that's either the third or fourth wave of feminism, depending on how one defines the 90s as a percolating moment within the movement. And in my estimation, the goals are more ambiguous than ever. I'm not actually sure what feminism stands for now, which is why I'm recording this podcast. But my main message in this section of the podcast is that feminism is mostly defined by political power. It's always had this edge to it, 
within the broader scope of society to fight for rights and womanhood through the lens of politics. So we'll be focusing on these kind of sociopolitical issues mostly, but I want to make a point here, and that is to question whether or not the personal is political. Is it? I want to look at a personal view of feminism first. Let's look at the word feminism. Ignoring the ism for now, we have the feminine. And this connotes to me ideas of softness and tenderness and nurturing qualities and something delicate even. These are great characteristics. I love these things as a man. I'm drawn to them. I'm attracted to them. And even within myself as a man, I identify with feminine qualities versus perhaps a typical view of malehood and masculinity. And I think it's valuable to note the yin-yang of the universe and how feminine and masculine qualities must coexist and be celebrated equally probably. And that's interpersonal between each other and also intrapersonal within each of us. Essentially what I'm proposing here is balance. I think that the world needs balance and I think each of us need to feel balanced so that whenever there's something like a toxic masculinity, we need feminism. Conversely, whenever there's something like a toxic femininity, we need something masculine to balance it out. I want to dip my toe in just a little bit to the psychological work of Carl Jung. This is very dense and I can't even claim to fully understand it, but I want to mention it here. These internal urges within each of us can be expressed through psychological complexes and Jung used the phrases anima for men and animus for women for these inner universal forces that can manifest themselves in odd ways within the real world, that an anima was this feminine force within men that could grow and become unwieldy or wielded successfully for integration into the world. And that animus, conversely for women, was some sort of masculine energy that, if improperly attended to, could cause mayhem to some extent. I'm mentioning these just because within psychology and individual growth, there's just so much here. This is a field rich with possible developments, and it would be silly to ignore that and to think of the feminine as only political. Of course, these things manifest themselves politically as well, but they stand on their own within each of us for personal growth. Okay, so the next topic I want to address, still personal, is femininity embodied, the feminine as a physical shape in the world. So I'm thinking of womanhood and what characterizes womanhood. The female is our technical descriptor for a biological identity, if I'm not mistaken. And this is tricky nowadays with controversies around trans identities. But essentially, females have two X chromosomes, 
and this gives females a lot of physical characteristics a womb specifically and a uterus womb being the root in the word woman even within trans people these characteristics are coveted or rejected and the control of estrogen as a chemical regulates the development or retardation of these characteristics so these characteristics obviously signal if not define femininity and womanhood to large degrees which is fine and they play an immense part in the propagation of our species if you will they obviously attract men uh, like magnets these qualities of waist to hip ratio and childbearing hips and breasts breast size uh, certain softness or tenderness certain uh, delectability or something like this i could go on and on <laughs> i'm a fan but it should go without saying that what men find attractive are clear signs of femininity now let me step back for a second and make a political statement or disclaimer i am not reducing women to this narrow view of womanhood i don't believe that all women need to have babies or that this is the primary function of a human person that's female or that you know we have to narrowly define our values in a traditional way around the family units and the propagation of reproduction whatever i don't care about all that i celebrate a diversity of lifestyles and interests but i think it's just evident that womanhood is largely defined by these kind of characteristics and that it's a great thing and that these characteristics wield immense influence in the world and that has to be noted that has to be noted that we talk so much about power in a socio-political way somehow ignorant of the influence that women have always had and will continue to always have over men so let's segue now to politics and the social issues that face the world right now and that feminism might be concerned with let's get into the test that i've been kind of alluding to and dancing around this whole time this test recognizes various strands of feminism and i identify as a liberal feminist which is principled on ideas of equality and egalitarianism so there are questions like the right to vote it was the right to vote a good thing uh, should men and women have the same rights uh, was the emancipation of women a crowning glory in western civilization uh, and of course i say yes to all these things absolutely and proudly but those questions are boring aren't they i mean who doesn't think those things i suppose a very a uh, conservative person, a traditionalist, a religious person might not. And insofar as that is still a force in the world, I think we have to keep combating that. Frankly, I see that as a continued fight, but not at home. It's more of a global issue at this point. So, you know, a question deriving from that is, is it hypocritical for Western women to demonize western men 
for the minorest of infractions while atrocities occur globally to other women. And I think I might say yes to that because I think that the safety, security, and livelihood of women abroad might be more important than manspreading on the subway or mansplaining like I might even be accused of doing right now, having this podcast on this topic. I think that these are kind of like very nitpicky, combative uh, forms of feminism, personally. Um, But I'm also happy to recognize the argument that we have to act locally, that we have to, you know, attend to our own house before criticizing others and that kind of stuff. And insofar as there are toxic elements of masculinity within American and European culture, they should be addressed. And I agree with that. I just don't know how we're defining toxicity. At some point, the shoe might be on the other foot sometimes. So I think that's worth minding. Other questions of equality get a little trickier as well. Um, Gender equality has been achieved, yes or no? That's tricky, isn't it? I think. I mean, I think probably a lot of people out there would just assume, no, it has not been achieved. And I just wonder where it's not achieved and what can be done about it. Um, You know, the wage gap is a big question. Equal pay for equal work. Is that a myth or not? These are much trickier, and I suppose I'll address them. My position here is that, by and large, equality has been achieved, equal opportunity, in the sense that Every woman I know can do anything she wants. And I think that's the case across the West. I think that the barriers you might face are the same barriers that I might face. And perhaps you might find some sexism, some boys club not letting, wanting to let you in, etc. But I could equally argue that that boys club might not let me in. I don't think so much comes down to sexism right now. And I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'm not really happy. I would be disappointed to be proven wrong, but I stand corrected if, if it be so. But I don't view it as a pressing concern of our time. That's all. I think there are so many other issues that to define oneself on this basis is, I don't know, not the most pressing thing, basically. And regarding the wage gap specifically, there is a lot of evidence that shows it's a multifaceted problem and that, yes, the wage gap is a thing, for sure. Um, When you total the total earnings of all men and you compare it to the total earnings of all women in a given year, the men as a group make more than the women as a group. But there are so many factors there. We can't just dismiss it as sexism. Sexism might be a factor in terms of sexist bosses or sexist business cultures and stuff like that. And I'm happy to bring a microscope to analyze those things. But I think it has to be recognized that plenty of women do leave work in order to have children and that that's fine. It's okay to do that that plenty of women choose jobs that pay less, which is also fine. I choose jobs that pay less. It makes sense to have a work-life balance, 
there are some extremely competitive men who strive to make the most money possible who throw off the curve. I think if you take an average woman and an average man, it's often the case that a woman might make more than the man, as is the case with my parents. So I don't see sexism actively holding down women. I see individual choices factoring in immensely for the fact that women make less than men. There's also this idea of scalability and job preference. If men choose careers that scale, those kind of careers pay more, like engineering, whereas women might choose careers that focus on individuals, like nursing. I'm using very obvious examples because they happen to hold up across cultures that there is fundamentally a difference in the genders. And that difference is obvious with anybody that has eyes, as I've kind of gone into already, but it's explainable through social science. Some other questions here are stuff like, um, women are generally better than men. If women ran the world, there would be less violence and fewer wars. Now, if you agree... And I, I don't think it's wrong to agree. I might agree. You know, I think women generally are better than men. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say that. But I would say that women are better than men in many ways, <laughs> for sure. And I would say that I would entertain the idea that if women ran the world, there might be less violence and fewer wars. I don't know. I don't know. But I think that those questions suggest sex differences that play out in the real world. And if you admit that, if you might say that if women ran the world, there'd be less violence, you're admitting that there's some character traits between the sexes that might lead to different outcomes, right? Now, those questions, compared to a series of questions that sound like this, women are just as independent and risk-seeking as men. Women have just as much a sense of honor and duty as men. Women can do every job in the military just as well as men. There are these kind of questions like... uh, Anything you can do, I can do. Or maybe I can do it even better. So I'm sensing like some amount of uh, animus here, frankly, uh, to reference Carl Jung. There's some amount of um, combativeness with these with these propositions. And I don't know the answers to these, but I would just take each one at face value. For instance, women can do every job in the military just as well as men. Well, I don't know, but let's take a look at what those jobs are. If it's carrying ammunitions from one base to another or something, that's going to involve physical strength. Now, men are physically stronger than women as a whole. Plenty of women are stronger than me. So it's not that every man is stronger than every woman. It's just that by and large, men have more upper body strength, which leads them to achieve certain feats, especially in the military, that women might not be able to do. So, you know, there are standards in something like the military, and I don't think we have to dismiss those standards just to prove this point that women are just as capable as men. I don't know what good it does to make the argument that you know, this person is just as good as that person. You know, I, I have a feeling, this is a little off topic, but it's, it's, it's important. We have this tendency in our political discussions to jump to a conclusion and defend that conclusion instead of addressing 
the facts on the ground and the evidence we're presented with. It's as if we think, oh, if we admit that men might have more physical body strength, then they're going to lead me rhetorically to admitting that men are better. And I don't want to, I want to prevent that. So I'm going to get ahead of it by just denying the uh, conceit that men are stronger. But I will happily recognize that women are more nurturing because that could lead down the road to women being better. So I'll, I'll, I'll face that one. Well, they're one and the same. And men are better than women in some areas and women are better than men in other areas, I would say. But I don't like this term better. It's, it's hard to compare apples and oranges, isn't it? I would simply say that there are differences and those differences are few or more similar than we are different. But... There are trait personality differences in aggression. Men have more of it at the extreme. There are differences in uh, emotional distress. Women exhibit more of it on the extremes. On the bell curves of these things, people are mostly the same. Uh, Women have a more nurturing social role that they can tap into easier. And I, I would argue that that's biological, that it comes from the womb, again. You know, I'm very, I can be very simple about this. I think it's a bit reductivist for sure, reductionist, but I do think it comes down to the body again, to some degree, but those things can be overcome. You know, I mean, I'm happy to recognize the differences and diversities of people and that we're not necessarily confined to our inborn traits. And very importantly, that there's more difference and diversity within groups than between them. There are masculine women and feminine women. There are masculine men. There are strong men and weak men. That must be noted. So that was all a little bit of a tangent from this idea of equality. We can be different, but still be politically equal. We don't have to be equal in every metric. We don't have to be the same in any given field or topic there are levels of achievement there are hierarchies and women and men sort themselves differently given the hierarchy but we all deserve the same rights we all deserve to be happy we all deserve to be recognized as humans with dignity we all deserve a chance we all deserve a fair shake in life and i think it's a really evident simple thing So in regard to equality, I think a lot of these questions are like gotcha questions and they're just not helpful. It's not really helpful to ask, can women be just as happy as men without a stable relationship? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe women need more nurturing or more care or want to give more care. But if not, that's fine too. Like, I'm not really bothered either way. I don't really understand the spirit with which that question is asked. Women are just as rational and logical as men. Well, a woman either is or isn't, you know, it doesn't, does it really matter in terms of political rights? So these are tricky, but I would, I would go back to this idea of equal opportunity for everybody as a guiding principle in regard to these kind of questions. Um, Other kind of questions, Uh, you know, the women are generally better than men. This kind of leads to this man hating angle of feminism. And maybe that's a pejorative I shouldn't use, but I think it gets the point across, this angle against all men, this I drink male tears or 
um, you know, kill all men, this kind of spirit. A lot of this um, is formulated in terms of male sexual desire and aggression, stuff like uh, is dating and sex constructed by a patriarchy to satisfy men's desires or um, is inexplicit consent morally on par with rape if a woman isn't explicitly consenting to sex or are pickup artists practicing a hate crime i mean this is kind of insane to me this logical fallacy that men as a group are responsible for this minority amount of men a very small minority i suppose that commits these kind of crimes it's tricky because I do realize from a lot of anecdotal evidence as well as statistics that most women at some point in their lives do experience something egregious sexually, at least harassment, if not abuse or assault. But it's dangerous to draw from that that men are to blame. I mean, that's sexist. If it was put in regard to race, it would be more obvious that it was racist to presume that. In this case, yes, some minority of men commit sex crimes or are behaving badly within a society and social norms. But we have to be careful and keep our our wits about ourselves socially and not bring this into a, a discussion of gender relations. Criminals don't represent men as a whole and i resent any ideological movement that supposes that this kind of sexual aggression is built into the very fabric of malehood or masculinity this kind of anger this spirit of anger and gender wars carries through in some more questions here about representations of women in media in video games, in movies, through either one-dimensional roles or a lack of nuanced roles, perhaps the models being represented and showcased in advertising, being too thin or sexy, upholding a certain body type or standard of beauty, um, women in pornography as objects of lust to be used by men, prostitution and the professional sex workers who are again manipulated somehow by male sexual desire all of this is interesting in my estimation from a media studies point of view but it's very dangerous as a political ideology to wield this generalization about male sexuality i do take the point that even outside of crime and the extremes of male sexual behavior, that male sexuality is this powerful thing, perhaps equally powerful to female sexuality and the allure that the feminine wields. Uh, masculine energy is also a force of nature to be reckoned with. And I, the way I see it, our society creates these outlets, these healthy expressions or releases uh, to let out the steam, if you will, of male sexual energy. And I think these things can be critiqued 
from a male mental health point of view, first and foremost. I don't know if it's healthy for men to be surrounded by such things and to have such outlets for their lust easily attainable like that. But in terms of a danger toward women, if we're talking about real danger, we have to be talking about stuff like human trafficking and sex slavery and especially child slavery. These are real issues. And if a feminist movement wants to address those, I'm happy to to advocate alongside that. But I'm seeing these kind of attacks more generally speaking against male desire in general and having certain standards of beauty, which might offend certain women. And this is not really a political issue, I don't think. It's a, it's a social and personal issue. And I'm not trying to disregard it on that basis. I just don't think regulation or authoritative governmental action is at all the answer here. I think there is a psychological disturbance at work here on men that I've mentioned, but also on women. There is, I mean, let's take the example of supermodels in advertising and the standards of beauty that we're all surrounded with. Are these unhealthy? Sure, I can see an argument. I can see it in a few ways. There are some questions here about body positivity as a movement and fat acceptance. I think that movement is a little misguided. I think obesity is a health issue and shouldn't be celebrated at all. Um, I don't think people should be encouraged to stay unhealthy. But I do agree that we need more diversity in the media of female shapes because there is variance within the female form. And it is strange and uh, I don't know what word to use here, but it's too much to see the same kind of tall, skinny model everywhere. I would agree about that. And it has the other consequence of perhaps feeding into anorexia and bulimia in young women, which is definitely a problem, a rampant problem. And to the extent that media influences that behavior, that should be considered, but not necessarily from a regulatory point of view. I'm not sure. I'm a little agnostic about how to handle that, but I can recognize that for sure as an issue, but let's directly address patriarchy for a second. This deserves its own episode because it's such a big topic, but just briefly speaking, we have lived in a certain tradition of a family unit, let's say. And for the last 70 years, that has been deconstructed and we're presenting society now with alternatives, single mothers, uh, divorces, um, adoption, uh, and the like, and just bachelorhood and spinsterhood, which is an old school word that I guess we don't really have a replacement for. And this is the point. I think there has to be an admittance to some degree that this traditional value structure still exists in our minds, even when we resist it. And what happens when we fail to meet it? And we all can fail to meet it. It's not just women who aren't, you know, regarded as desirable enough that fail to meet this. Men are also regarded as unsuccessful enough, for instance. And this is a system that is 
equally oppressive, maybe not equally, but it, it oppresses and uh, holds us all down. It's very hard to place ourselves in a social hierarchy where we actually want to be. It's hard. Life is hard. And what do we do about that? I think we're doing good in that we're presenting very realistic alternatives for people that fail to meet. I hate to use the word fail, but that just don't end up living the lives that they wanted to live. It's like, okay, if I don't have a husband, at least let me make enough money to live rather than going into a convent or being on the street, which is what might have happened 200 years ago to single women, right? Now that I can understand as something like a patriarchy. Why are there no opportunities for women that beyond marriage and motherhood? But now there are, right? I mean, I'm not judging the choices or the situations that people end up in. Who am I to talk? But I think the important thing is to recognize that it's not a patriarchy per se that holds you down, disadvantages you, and prevents you from living a fulfilling life. It's nature and it's society as a whole of which women have helped very much so to build. I mean, the women's movement, the feminist movement of the 60s, has done a lot to ensure something like um, the right to work and earn a living wage on your own independently and to practice a sexual livelihood any way you like, not necessarily, you know, to maintain something like a virginal value for marriage and then win a husband or something like that. So we're already existing outside of those traditional norms and we have to, we have to appreciate that. We're not living a hundred years ago, guys. So this is the point. We're all held down by society. Society is built by all of us, not some shady, sinister group, let alone a shady, sinister group of old white men. And we have to build up viable lives that everybody can fall back on even if you're born in the most unfortunate circumstances. There still needs to be a path toward a decent life. And that's what I think the liberal project is all about and the progressive project and you know the FDR-style Democrat project. And I'm totally a huge supporter of that. And the brand of feminism that I support is the one that advocates for the flourishing of femininity in whatever form womanhood we can call it to flourish beyond traditional paths marriage and even workplace success what if you have no great love nor a great vocation then what I mean, this is where something like universal basic income comes in or a usual workers' rights project of a living wage. And these these are not specifically gendered issues. But if you want to advocate for women, think about the most lowly of women that need support. Think about the kind of life that you don't want but could end up having and what it might look like with while maintaining dignity. This is the kind of conversation 
that needs to be had. And it has to be had with maturity, not with the anger and vitriol of Andrea Dworkin and her style of feminism. That's a name worth looking up, by the way. And it's difficult because it's facing harsh realities that we don't want to face. We want to sooner blame men for not loving us or blame bosses for not hiring us. And okay, I get that. There's probably some blame to to go around. But in the end, we just need to ensure that people can live lives that are not totally bleak and without any hope. And that's the kind of political project I would like to be part of. Okay. I feel very good about that. I think that's really how I feel. But let's keep going with the tests and these proposals of other kinds of political remedies. Should the state enforce quotas for equal parental leave, maternity and paternity leave? Should the state enforce quotas so that women hold more high-end jobs like CEOs of companies? I'm against this stuff from a social libertarian point of view. And it's not because I resist women holding power. I mean, I think it's great when women achieve high status and they do it all the time. There are clearly very driven women that are very happy to compete in these kind of hierarchies and they do just fine. Uh, Of course, they face some barriers, but what do you expect? There are going to be barriers in life. What I'm critical of with this kind of mentality is that there's this assumption that giving these 100 positions to women is somehow beneficial to all women. And it's not. This is like the kind of policy that benefits a very high achieving middle management kind of woman who is already very successful. It does nothing for the poor woman, you know? And this is why I'm critical of a lot of movements. It all seems to be a power structure reshuffling kind of uh, agenda. And I'm skeptical of that. These just feel like they feel they feel Stalinist, frankly. It's very simple. If there's a glass ceiling, let's get rid of it. If women are bowing out of positions for other interests, let's accept it. I just haven't been shown the right evidence, I guess, about this glass ceiling. I've seen just a lot of evidence to the contrary. But again, I am really happy to fight it if that's a real thing. And if, yeah, if women want power, go on. But why would I fight for a woman to have power? I don't I don't support people chasing power, generally speaking. <laughs> I support barriers being lifted. But if you want power, that's your fight. You know, I, I don't know why I would abed that. And there's even a question here kind of like that. Men who support female empowerment are inherently weak or female empowerment necessarily disempowers men. Those are different questions. I don't agree with either of them. I'm happy to support the empowerment of women when women are oppressed, and I feel strong in doing so. But when women aren't oppressed, why would I try and empower them further? Seriously, I don't know why I would do that as a supposed ally or something. It seems suspicious, frankly. So I don't believe in just kissing up to women so that they can become more empowered. I mean... If, I mean, tyranny should be clear 
and there should be evidence for it. And when there is, I'll be convinced and I will be on your side to fight it. But if it's this made up specter, this ghost of the patriarchy, it's not my job to fight that. I have my own problems fighting the system. The system is oppressive to me too. It's oppressive to all of us. It's a system, (laughs) but I don't think it's run by men for men against women. I think it's run by people in power for people in power against everyone else, frankly. And I don't know why we forget that this identity politics is distracting us. (sighs) Okay. So let's segue out of the big picture stuff. I think we've covered it. I'll just hit a few more points, maybe. There's this one that's transitional from politics back to society and the personal. Trump's political standpoints are bad news for women. So this is an interesting angle here. Donald Trump is a renowned sexist or chauvinist, or misogynist, or something. He's on record having made very explicit, inappropriate comments in the context of news and society. That's not how he intended them to be heard, but he made them, and I condemn them. They're very easy to condemn because they're slimy and gross. I also have some levity about it. I mean, here's just an oafish, buffoonish man being a gross dude, you know. I suppose it's easy for me to say, as a man, that doesn't feel threatened personally. Was the Woman's March in response to these comments uh, a worthy response? Uh, Was it a good political retaliation? Were his comments bad? Were they dangerous to women? This is trickier to me. I'm not actually totally sure about all this i think donald trump is a pig and i think he represents a certain aspect of american culture it's a part of american culture that i've actively escaped no longer living there it's a part of american culture that i reject and do find repellent but i also think it's not the majority of american culture and it's not the majority of men and I don't know what has happened by virtue of those kind of statements. If sex crime is up in the country, if misogyny is up, if civility is down, if gentlemanliness is down. I mean, I don't see any evidence of that. Quite the opposite, in fact. I think the Me Too movement has way more of an impact on men's behavior than Donald Trump. Um... Now, Donald Trump appoints judges. Now, judges might control something like reproductive rights and legal abortion. That's a problem, potentially, insofar as abortion is a woman's issue, which I'd be happy to say that it is, but it's also a social issue and a moral issue and a family issue. I could see the argument that a conservative agenda hurts women. And insofar as Donald Trump presides over a conservative agenda that could hurt women but i don't really believe that the personal lives or personal beliefs of a president like john f kennedy or bill clinton other womanizers and flanders hurt women i don't really care about all that so 
I don't know. I think there's something within feminism or any ism to broaden one detail of something and apply it to everything. This is a fallacy, a logical fallacy to say the president thinks this, therefore the country's in trouble for that reason. I just don't know about that. So yeah, that's all I have to say about Trump and that, but I would rather agree with a feminist on the topic than a sexist. I'm just not convinced what kind of threat it really portrays. And it just makes me wonder in general, what threatens women these days? And when I do think about women living under threat of violence or oppression, I don't think about middle-class Western women. I think perhaps of women in poverty, but I especially think about women in developing countries who face ghastly issues that I don't think I even need to mention. I guess I'll mention some for the sake of it. Child brides, uh, female genital mutilation, honor killings, uh, second-class citizenship as defined by Sharia law, codified, um, arranged marriages, or inheritance law. There are these kind of things that are very real. You can point to them. You can see them everywhere if you go to certain places. And they're written down and followed. I don't think it's controversial to say that these are bigger problems. Now... I can accept that we have to act local and that we have to, again, take care of our own house before we mind the business of others. There's this argument, and that's fine. And I support political activism whenever people have a cause. It's fine to fight it. But I I guess my, my point here to wrap up is that people need to be clear what their goals are and what their moral compass is. And I question where feminism stands now because it's so broad of a term and because it covers everything from voting equality to, you know, the regulation of representations in media to the blaming of men individually in each person's life and collectively as some sort of social tyrannical force. I am just very skeptical when our words become so academic and driven by a sort of politicized agenda in that kind of way, critical theory I'm referring to now. And I think we lose sight of our of the point, you know? I mean, come on. We we need to cooperate. We need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We need to practice compassion and we need to think through our common interests. I don't like to see these gender wars, and I do worry that feminism as this kind of of out-of-control force (laughs) philosophically is doing more harm than good. That's That's what I worry about. I don't know how true that is. It depends where you're listening and which circles you're running. I've seen it do great. I've seen it bring people together. Um, I appreciate the women in my life and insofar as they're feminists, I support them totally. So it's this kind of slippery thing, isn't it? So there are a few more questions, but 
I'm running a bit out of steam, I think. I want to kind of leave it like that. There are issues of the capitalist economy and how much, how oppressive that is specifically toward women. Um, and again, I would just apply my same general theories that it's easier to look at things individually than as a group, uh, membership of a group. There's this idea of the male gaze and how threatening and dangerous this is toward women. And again, I think we have to be clear about men biologically, crime as we identify it, the the pitfalls of logical fallacies that we might make when broadly speaking on such topics. And generally speaking, it's just, I think we have to accept the dance between the sexes, not to mention trans issues, which is a huge issue now in feminism, and this idea of a TERF, a T-E-R-F, trans exclusionary radical feminist, J.K. Rowling being the most prominent, um, and the issues of trans people within a feminist community, within a woman, women's community. This is a difficult, fraught topic not to be taken lightly. And I just, I don't think it's fair just to say one thing about it. I don't think it's fair to label somebody a transphobe. You know, these phobic ism kind of things are like the biggest pejoratives we have right now to label somebody like this, just because somebody recognizes that people that have menstrual cycles have particular interests as a group. <laughs> and that group has been traditionally called women and that when a man goes through gender reassignment surgery, he then enters this group. Well, <laughs> I think I might be skeptical of that myself. I don't really have a, a dog in the fight on that one, but I think we have to appreciate where people are coming from when they advocate for their interests and build coalitions with like-minded people. And it's, it's not to put down any trans person or insofar as there is a trans community to marginalize them. I don't think most of us aim to do that at all. We want to accept and offer compassion to what must be a, a difficult life. But these are tricky issues, and this is what feminism is facing now. And from my point of view, as a summation here, it really underscores the problems with identity politics and the ways in which we're really trying too hard socially to break everybody down into these specific group identities and then talk about intersectionality and the various ways we we hold multiple identities and how tricky and messy that is and the oppression olympics that we get into and who's mostly oppressed and all this it's a waste of time we can fight for change on specific topics we can fight specific tyrannies or injustices we can join together in obvious um, camaraderie toward obvious wrongs in the world and that's what we need to be doing and i worry that branding ourselves with any kind of ism is maybe pointless maybe that's it i don't know but I've said my piece. I'm happy to be called a feminist when people mean something along the lines of what I've been suggesting here. 
I'm happy to disavow the term if we can outgrow it. I'm ready to personally, but I also support women that hold on to it insofar as they also support me as an individual person. And I'll leave it there for now. There's plenty more to talk about on this topic, of course, and maybe we'll come back to it. But I think at an hour, as usual, I can leave it there. I welcome your responses. I welcome your supports. My name is Keith Telfian. That's T-E-L-F-E-Y-A-N. I'm Discoverable Online. Check out my website. Find me on Patreon if you care to support. I would greatly appreciate it. I'm on Instagram at Keith Pictures with my artistic angle separate from all this politics stuff. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Ciao.